Good morning, Soma. Stick out your Bibles and open to Galatians 2. Let me open with a word of prayer. Almighty God, what an incredible day, Lord. All the blessings in our lives and just the change in the weather that we see. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the blessings in our lives. And most of all, we thank you for your son who came down and paid the price that we could not pay. Lord Jesus, you are the bridge between us and heaven. You are the one that came and paid the penalty for each of us. And you are the one that comes and redeems the church. Lord, we look forward to that day. We love you. We praise your name. Be with us this morning as we read from what your servant Paul has to say. And tear open our hearts, carve it on us. We ask this, Jesus, in your wonderful name. Amen. All right. So, we've covered the history of Paul, sorry, Saul, the Pharisee, through when he became Paul the Apostle. And it was after this that Saul, or Paul, was accepted by the apostles and by the church. We're going to talk about that today. So despite all the things that Paul had done and that we had read about and all those years that he spent out in the wilderness studying scripture to try and figure out, he knew the story of Jesus. He knew who Jesus was. And he was searching the scriptures to find the parallels between the Jesus that he met on the road to Damascus and the Jesus that was written about in the Old Testament. Now, keep in mind, none of the New Testament existed at that time. So there was no scripture about Jesus the way we think of it. We, we have it all written for us, all written out, which makes it much simpler for us. And imagine for a moment Paul is trying to, Saul, Paul, is trying to figure all this out. And the only way that God can make Paul realize what is in here is by revelation. And quite literally, there is just one after the other for Paul during this 14 years that he's learning about Jesus. And then he goes to meet with the apostles. And that's what we're going to read about today. So Paul is accepted by the apostles. And so we're going to be looking at uh, Galatians 2 from 1 through 10. Did I get that right? Okay. <laughs> I have to check. I should read my notes. <laughs> so um, let me give you... I'm going to read to you from Acts 9, 26 to 31. Acts 9, 26 to 31. So this is a fairly long piece. And, and the next three passages that I'm, four passages that I'm going to read are all out of Acts. All right. So speaking about Saul, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Okay, so they, they were quite terrified of meeting with him. 
because of his previous reputation. It had been years now, all right? But they were quite terrified to meet with him. The disciples were. Get this. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who had spoken to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and set him off to Tarsus. Okay. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. All right, so that was Acts 9. So skipping down now to Acts 11, Acts 11, 25 and 26. Acts 11, 25 and 26. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So Antioch, which, by the way, is in Syria today, um, is, is where the town is. So this is the place where Christianity becomes Christianity as a name. Okay, skipping down, Acts 12. 24 and 25, Acts 12, 24 and 25. But the word of God increased and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem where they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So this is the Mark that writes the Gospel of Mark. So, Acts 13, 1 through 3, Acts 13, 1 through 3. I have a fly buzzing around up here. So if you catch me, like, <laughs> you'll know I haven't completely lost my marbles. But that would be true, too. All right? Just, I'm just saying. All right? So um, Acts 13, 1 through 3. Now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Paul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Paul for the, for the work which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Okay, so at this point, you can see that Barnabas and Paul get paired up to do this mission work for the church. So a refresher on my, our, our timeline here. Jesus is born in about 4 BC, begins his ministry in about 25 AD, and Jesus is crucified in 28 AD. The death of Stephen is in that gap from 28 to 30 AD, probably closer to 30 AD. The conversion of Saul is in about 30 AD. Now, from 30 AD, we think of Paul's first missionary journey was in the time frame of 46 to 49 AD. 
all right? So 30 AD to 46 to 49, 16 years. So this fits with what Paul has told us about his own history, okay? That he fits into this gap. All right. Now, um, there's further evidence of this as there was a Council of Jerusalem meeting that happened in 49 AD, which was right after Paul comes back from his first missionary journey. And Paul was in attendance at that meeting. That meeting was to settle this whole thing about whether the, the, the Greeks were Christians or not, whether they were in, whether they were out. And, and there was some debate about this, and this was to settle that. Okay. Um, the gap between 30 AD and 46 AD, Paul spends his time in the desert reading the scriptures and learning of Jesus. And Paul's first mission journey, 46 to 49 AD, Paul's second mission journey falls in uh, late 49 AD through 52 AD. And it's early in that trip that Paul visits Galatia. Okay, so probably in 50, early 50 A.D. is when Paul arrives in Galatia. Okay. Um, based on this, we think Paul writes the letter to the Galatians in about 48 A.D. So it's just a couple of years after he first meets with them. Okay. So... With all of that as a preface, we can now look at Galatians 2, verse 1. So Galatians 2, verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. So you have the three of them. You have Paul with Barnabas. Barnabas is a Jew. And make sure I have that. No, Barnabas was from Cyprus. And um, Titus went along with them as well. So you have these three that are going up to Jerusalem. Okay, so Paul travels to Jerusalem after his 14 years of study. And he takes Barnabas, and it's an Aramaic name, which means son of encouragement. And that's an apt name, as Barnabas is quiet and a very supportive friend to Paul. Barnabas was from Cyprus, and we know that Barnabas was to be one of the earliest Christians. Um, Acts 4, 36 and 37. Acts 4, 36 and 37. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles, apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So this is where Barnabas comes from. He's actually from Cyprus. He has a field that he sells. And his Jewish name is Joseph. He sells the field and he brings the money to the apostles. Okay, Acts 11, 22 to 26. Acts 11, 22 to 26. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful in the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. 
So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Paul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So Paul also takes Titus to Jerusalem, who follows Paul on many of his journeys. We think Titus was a scribe and a messenger for Paul. Paul writes a letter to Titus, which is one of the minor epistles near the end of the New Testament. And that reads fairly quick. It's only three, three chapters. Okay. 2 Corinthians 2, 12 to 13. 2 Corinthians 2, 12 to 13. When I came to Troas to, peach the go- to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Okay. Titus 1, 4 and 5. Titus 1, 4 and 5. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. This is what Paul writes to Titus in his letter to to Titus. And the epistle of Titus, though relatively short, gives us detailed instruction of the position of overseer and elder. And it's clear from Paul's writings that the two positions are in fact one position within the church. And that's why we have the epistle of Titus. Okay, back to Galatians 2. Verse 2, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. So, Paul receives many revelations from God. Let me give you a short list. Acts 16.9. Acts 16.9 And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Another case, Acts 18.9 and 10. Acts 18.9 and 10 And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. You notice what this particular vision says to Paul, that he's supposed to go into this city and speak, and the Christians will hear him, and God is telling Paul that there are many in this city who are my people, and your job is to go tell them about me. And this fits very neatly into the way we view Reformed tradition within our own faith. Okay, 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 6. 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 6. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. 
Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows. And I know this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So these are just examples where Paul claims to have special revelation from God. And it's clear from his teaching that the Holy Spirit is instructing him and, and telling him the direction that he should go. Verse 3, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. So, here in verse 3, circumcision was required to be a Jew. This requirement meant it was necessary to become a Jew first before becoming a Christian. Paul vigorously opposed this. And this is the very argument that Paul is writing to the Galatians about, that we are justified by faith in Jesus alone for salvation. We are justified by our faith. And there is nothing else external that you can do to add to that. Our faith, and by the way, within the Reformed tradition, our faith is also a gift of God that God gives us individually. That's not something that we do. It's something that's given to us by God. Okay. Continuing on, verse 4. Yet because a false brother secretly brought in, who sleeped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so they might bring us into slavery. Paul felt so strongly about faith, the faith alone doctrine that Paul saw this as an essential requirement for inclusion in the church. Paul specifically excluded those who did not hold to this particular tenet. You heard that. By believing any other thing than faith alone was grounds for exclusion from the church. Paul refers to these people as false brothers and spies and that any such belief was slavery to sin. Romans 6, 15-23. Romans 6, 15-23. What then? Are we to sin? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now you present your members as slaves to righteousness, which leads to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. 
But what fruit were you getting from the time of the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is drawing these contrasts so that we can see the difference between the two. Verse 5. To them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Paul is saying that this is a fundamental truth of the gospel, that you are granted admission to being one of God's covenant people only by faith, that is freely and only given to the believer by God alone. Anything added beyond that is a denial that what Jesus did on the cross was not sufficient for salvation. These additions deny the sufficiency of Jesus' suffering, that what Jesus suffered and died for was not sufficient to satisfy God's requirement for entrance into heaven. And this is denying God's sovereignty. Because of this, any such requirement that is added on to Christ's death on the cross is in fact a perversion of God's gospel and denies the grace of Jesus as being sufficient for salvation. Continuing on, verse 6. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. One of the things that falls out of this is that circumcision was not a requirement. It was not a defining mark of faith. And in a like manner, influence in the eyes of the world is also not a defining manner. Neither of those matter to God. The only thing that matters to God is faith in Jesus. Verse 7. On the contrary, when I saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the, circum un to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. Peter was the foundation of the early church. And Peter was the evangelist to the Jews, just as Paul was the evangelist to the Gentiles. Peter understood the importance of reaching out to God's people, just as it was for Paul to reach out to God's people amongst the Gentiles. Acts 10, 1 through 48. Acts 10, 1 through 48. This is a long passage. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God and all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. I have to make a short statement here about Cornelius. Cornelius is a centurion. He's a Roman centurion. Roman centurions are mentioned four times in the New Testament. In every single case of the mention of a Roman centurion, 
all four of these centurions were believers. In every case that centurions are mentioned in the New Testament, the centurions are believers and are righteous people in the eyes of God. Every single time. All four cases. It's worth going to look them up. Okay, continuing on. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial to God. And now men sent to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from amongst those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter, Peter went up on the housetop at about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens open, and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. And this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he saw might have meant, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry by Simon's house, stood at the gate. And they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, go down, and meet them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you were looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago at about this hour I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent at once for you, and you have been kind enough to come. 
Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God knows God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all of Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that anyone, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. And while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from all the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. This was Peter preaching to the Gentiles and converting the Gentiles. Peter knew what it was that Paul had come to do. Peter understood completely because of this episode that there were Gentiles out amongst those nations that were God's people and that someone had to go talk to them. And here is Paul saying, this is my job. I'm going to go do this. Verse 8. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. So here in verse 8, we have God reaching out to all the peoples, not to just the Jews. Remember when we were in Isaiah? Isaiah 56, 1 through 8. Isaiah 56, 1 through 8. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of the man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuchs say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. 
And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and hold fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Isaiah knew about this. I can imagine Paul reading this passage and realizing this is my calling. This is what I am going to go do. Okay, so at this point, Peter already, he's a supporter of Paul. Okay, verse 9, back to Galatians 2, verse 9. And when James and Cephas, which is Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So here are the pillars of the Christian faith, James and Peter and John. They saw the belief and the faith of Jesus in Paul and is in his understanding of the scriptures and the law. And they knew that Paul was a gift from God to their work to reach out to God's people everywhere. And so Paul and Barnabas were sent to the Gentiles. Acts 3, 1 through 11. Acts 3, 1 through 11. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Every time I read this passage, the only thing I can hear is that children's song that goes with this, right? Silver and gold, I have none. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. What I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. Acts 4, 5 through 14. Acts 4, 5 through 14. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, the son and John and Alexander and all who were of high priestly family. 
And when they set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished, and they recognized they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Verse 10. This is the end of today's passage. Verse 10. Only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Paul believed in reaching out to the poor, knowing that many of God's people were amongst the, the poor. Paul and Barnabas traveled to Jerusalem, bringing gifts to the poor. Acts 11, 27 to 30. Acts 11, 27 to 30. Now in these days, prophets came down from, from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit there would be great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So Paul comes into the Christian faith. And many fear Paul because of his actions, his persecution of the church from before. Paul's newfound faith is hard for them to believe, and it's not until James and Peter and John extend their hands in friendship to Paul that the others believe. And Paul explains why he is writing to the Galatian church to protect their understanding of the fundamental doctrines of Christianity. Paul guards their faith with incredible strength. Paul is protecting the Galatians with his letter. He proclaims a new thing has come from the Lord. The Lord makes the paths of righteousness and justice. And God is calling out to bring in his church. Recall that God is the only one who is wholly faithful and wholly just. And God is the only one that knows how sin can be atoned for. And this is for the redemption of God's people, of his church. This is the message that Paul is yelling at the Galatians. God knows the one who can pay for all sins. Paul knows the one. Paul met him on the road to Damascus. This is Jesus, 
God knows only his son Jesus is just and true and can stand in the gap for the church, for all the sins of God's people. Jesus is the one, the servant, the crown prince, the king. Jesus is the one that comes, the servant, the son of God, the eternal king. Not created, not made, and forever sovereign. Let's pray. Almighty Lord, how amazing. We read these words of Paul's that he wrote so many years ago to the Galatian church. And it reminds us of so many other things, those words that were left by Luke, and how Paul and Luke are telling the exact same story from two different points of view. And we can actually see the way the story is put together. Lord, how incredible and amazing is that? That they are working for Jesus. Lord, we know that Jesus is the one that came to rescue us, the church. And that he will come back again someday to bring the church with him before you. And that we will all rise up and sing together in love and adoration and honor and glory to you. And how we look forward to that day. And all because of your son. We thank you and we praise you. Amen.